podcast ain't played nobody. I was tactical as hell on that vacation, Bill, because I came back and we're about to leave again for the fourth. We're in the valley. Everything is still completely non-newsy, and that's okay. But we get we just we could stretch the malaise. All right. You know you're you're coming in real hot. You know this is how excited you are to be back. I assume. Well, I'm not really this excited to be back, Bill. I'm excited for our announcement. Okay. Yeah. You still with me? (laughs) Uh, barely. Okay. And one more time. Oh, do you know what that sound is, Bill? That sound is the American Athletic Conference Media Days. In the heart of college football fandom, Newport, Rhode Island, of course. Um, You're going to be there. I'm going to be there. Podcast ain't played. Nobody is going to be there. This is going to evolve from just a weird, creepy brainchild in our respective basements in middle America to a live in-person event. And when I say live, I don't really mean live. I just mean we're going to be in front of people doing it. Strangers. We will have um, the potential to do some Facebook Live stuff. We, so, uh, sort of, sort of yeah, live. We're in the lab cooking, as the hip-hop and uh, aficionados like to say. We are bringing podcast Ain't Played Nobody. We are bringing myself. We are bringing Bill Connolly. We're bringing Bill out of the chamber in Columbia, Missouri, uh, to AAC Media Days. If you need to ask why we're going to AAC Media Days, you just hit stop right now and go back to NPR, all right? I'm ready. Are you ready for a clam bake? Are you ready? Are you ready? Oh, man. I, you ready for I Tom cannot tell you Herman? how ready. Huh? I, you ready for Tommy Tuberville and Willie Taggart? Nia Matalolo. Everybody's going to be there. This Media Days has everything. Two different Montgomery's. You eat lobster. You talk to Chad Morris. You walk around in a quaint vacation town for Northeasterners who don't know what college football is. And then you go to a place, a magical place called Goat Island, a tiny hotel ballroom, and you talk to Mike Oresco about why this is the most relevant conference in America. I'm psyched. I can tell. Well, this is sober psyched, but that's another story. We are going to be at the American Athletic Conference uh, Media Days. It is August 1st and 2nd. Uh, Bill, until then... We're going to march right along with previews. I am also in a much, much let's 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 go six down on the register. So more of a conversational malaise. You ready? I have to go to Big Twelve Media Days. I have to go to Pac Twelve Media Days, and I am going to Sun Belt Media Days. Which Sun Belt Media Days? I'm kind of low key psyched for because you get to go to New Orleans and you get to hang out and drink a lot for work. Um, I think, by the way, media days that we're talking about right now, this is the single biggest differentiator between the casual turn on ESPN and just soak in what they're telling me fan and the fan that actually looks for fun stuff. Well, Um, and and so, God, man, you've had two weeks to build your transitions and I couldn't be prouder. It's like the little AI chip that I put in you is just like blossom to life and you're replicating human conversation in a way I never thought possible. So proud because we're trying to figure out what the hell people want from these media days. I have to leave my house for like 26 days or something. 
Um, not because media days actually stretch that long, but because between two of those media events, I'm going to be working on a story that I may be able to talk about later in the show. Um, I need to know from people who are willing to listen to a podcast about from two total dorks in the middle of the off season about college football. What the hell do you want from these, these media days? Because as Bill mentioned, most of these are going to be carried live. I, I do not go to SEC media days. Psh, do not flat out. Because I saw the peak of the mountain. I climbed the summit when I was dressed with a, with a full operational mullet and beard as an Alabama fan in 2012. Uh, I, I, I wept after that. There were no more lands for me to conquer in Hoover. Um, <laughs> but also, it's just a ridiculously terrible event. Um, so I'm going to Pac-12. I'm going to Big 12. Um, on my way home from Big 12, I'm going to swing and hit Sunbelt. I, I wanted to throw the CUSA in there as well, but I couldn't make the dates work. Um, we need to know what you guys want from this because I, I'm sure if you have Pac-12 Network, you're going to be able to see the Pac-12 media event live. I think that maybe FS1 will be carrying most, if not all, of the media days for the Big 12. I'm not entirely sure what their broadcast rights structure is on media day. And then Sunbelt, well, you know, I mean, I guess I could probably just, I could probably make something up and everyone will believe it because I don't think they get much coverage. But um, what what the hell? What, what, are you interested in something? Do you want me to just ask Mike Leach about strange things? Because I asked him about insects in Georgia the last time I saw him, and that was like 30 minutes. In fact, the story I turned in that day, Bill, I just transcribed this whole 20-minute ramble about <laughs> bugs and skin so soft um, in Georgia from Mike Leach because he was a coach at Valdosta. So – uh, we're, that, that's your, that's your first homework assignment for the week. I've been gone for two weeks. You guys, you guys watched a video. I know you didn't do anything. I know you hadn't even thought about it. So you're going to have more homework this week. So I need to know what you want. We're going to try out some Facebook live. Bill and I are going to have guests on when we go to the AAC media event. We're going to Facebook live. Is there anything else we're going to do? I, I don't do the whole Snapchat thing. So I, I'm I will, I will be Snapchatting in a series of, re- of progressively more revealing outfits. Um, Oh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Uh, well, but I guess that's what we're we're asking you guys for. Look, I'm only 25% of the way prepared for this. It's going to kick off for me in about seven or eight days um, after the 4th of July. I need to know what you guys want. Surely you don't want the same boring roundup that everyone else in every other media outlet cobbles together. Surely you don't want my knee-jerk hot take crap that you get from oh-so-many national pundits. Okay, we can't bring Bill. We, we can't take Bill out on the road all the time. Okay, it's very expensive to transport that machinery. So, if you guys have particular questions about any of those conferences that I mentioned, if there's someone you're dying for me to talk to, coach wise, I don't think the player lists are available yet. Um, but if there's someone you're, if there's anything, you name it, I, I'll give you a spoiler right now. I'm going to ask every kid I can about NCAA football, the video game, because Bill. We're finally going to use all those quotes. I've been asking people about that video game for three years. We didn't really know what we were going to do with it, but we are going to prove emphatically that, that the youth of America, the college football players right now, are still playing that video game. They still have their Xbox 360s and their PS3s plugged in specifically so they can play NCAA football. And I know for a fact Deshaun Watson does that. And it doesn't get any bigger than Deshaun Watson. Yeah, I think we're at our best, or SB Nation as a whole is at its best. Um, when we are producing content that's, 
goes one step beyond what you're, you know, basically uh, coming to an understanding of what we already get content wise and trying to then take it further instead of just replicating what, what else, what everybody else is already going to give you. So, I mean, that's the key here. We are going to do, um, I, I am looking forward we're going to try to snag as many coaches as possible. Um, and it should be really cool if we did nothing else but a series of PAP and interviews. I think it would be a really cool thing uh, because the roster at AAC, of AAC coaches right now is so interesting, um, and because a lot of those coaches are going to be in the power conferences over the next five years. So there's that. But you know we're there, and and as as Godfrey said, not only am I going, I'm driving. This is a this is a family road trip right here. We're taking the, the wife, the four year old, the almost five year old. We're sticking her in a car, and she's going to be saying, "Are we there yet?" For three straight days as we go through to like <laughs> Niagara Falls. Uh, we're going there. And, I know what all um, of you driving or listening or thinking right now is. Is it Godfrey? Did you talk him out of it? I tried. I tried. No, my wife. My wife latched onto this idea. She wants to. She's been a little bit bitten by the travel bug. The kid has. To the extent that you know, we, you know, we, we drive to Oklahoma for family reunions or whatever. But she's she seems to think she likes she she wants to travel, and we're just gonna find out. We're gonna basically say, okay, here's how how well do you handle this? And I think actually she'll handle it well. We did you say road trip to Oklahoma? Well, that's what we that's all she's really done. She's how, done how many Oklahoma. hours? She's, how many hours is it from Columbia to Oklahoma? Uh, where we went for a reunion a couple of weeks ago was nine. Ooh, so, hey, guess what? Nine-hour trip to Oklahoma. Man, okay, I, all right. That's she, the last time I pressed her. She loves it, though. She Well, she likes Oklahoma because there are people there who like her. That's all. That's really all this requires. Um, and so, but anyway, yes, we are going to we are gonna drive. We're going to try to get about nine hours out of town on, on the, like, the Friday before. And by the way, my other travel plans, I'm not doing any of those other media days. I'm going to Chicago to cover a Bayern Munich match right before we get into a car and go to AAC media day. So that's my little weird, my, my, my little weird, uh, umbrella under Espionation. That pretty much covers all of it right there. Um, I have been, um, what's the, let me check the free. I've been low key hype on, uh, watching soccer this <laughs> summer. It's been pretty fun. I've enjoyed it a lot. Um, maybe because, We've had both a combination of like a lack of major college football news and also crappy, terrible college football news. Well, right, yeah. We either don't get news or we get news that we don't want to talk about anymore. Remember when everybody was acting all chuffed about realignment? I bet y'all would shut up and take it now if you could. In a heartbeat. Uh, we got some good questions this week. I'm pretty excited about that. Um, we have kind of a thinness in terms of relevant topics. Bill, I've been drunk in Florida um, trying really, I, I've got kind of a, a tactician's tan. I, I, I didn't really burn anywhere. I'm very proud of myself. You've been working as is normally the dynamic in this operation. Uh, we have floated into the magical world of the Pacific 12 conference. Tell me something interesting. Uh, something interesting. Every single one of the teams I've programmed so far, there's a chance they might not, uh, programmed previewed so far. There's a chance they might not actually be any good. So that's interesting. Give right? me the give me your. Um, here's all right. Here's how I preview. Let me guess. Which how should we do this? Well, I mean, based off. Are, are we now? When you say not very good, are we talking about relative to your expectations or stupid hype, or, or do you just mean something that should that you entered the preview process thinking X will be better than they are, and then you do the numbers, you think, oh, okay, well, actually, they're not. Yeah, well, a little bit of all of those things. So, okay. Oregon State was terrible last well, year. Wait, I was going to guess. Gonna guess. Well, <laughs> Cal? Well, I mean, well, yes, but, okay. but, 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 but. But Cal. 
Arizona, Cal, Arizona, Arizona State, Washington State. Okay. So let me let me back up. So Oregon State was terrible. Probably will still be pretty bad, but slightly less bad. Gotcha. Fine. I kind of knew, knew that one in advance. Colorado um, somehow still isn't where I kind of thought they would be with McIntyre, and they fell off course last year, but they were really, really hurt, so they might, might be a little better. But fine. We, we knew the, those teams weren't going to be that great. Yes. Uh, Arizona fell apart last year. I really like what I, – I like the ideas that Rodriguez had in terms of fixing – the issues. Um, and I do think that, you know, as I walked through the season that they had and, and how terribly they did it specifically against good teams. Um, I see what he, what, you know, the piece you wrote about uh, in spring ball about how he actually, I, I linked to that piece. Synergy. Thanks, babe. Um, I, I, you know, I see his thought process there where he just thinks, you know what, none of this matters if we don't have more talent. And so he went out and hired and, and hired a couple of, the best mid-major recruiters, um, the uh, Yates from Boise State and then the DB's coach from San Jose State. That all makes perfect sense. And really, long-term, that might be a really nice move. I don't really – I don't know how that ma- what that means for this year, though. Strong early returns uh, in recruiting. Um, schematically, they told me they were going to be as flexible as possible to what they were inheriting. So – I agree with you. I don't know what this means this year. And usually when that's the case on defense, it means not good. <laughs> well, right. And um, they weren't, this is one of those deals too, where we talk about spread teams that give up a lot of points and yards because they're on the field all the time. You know, a good portion of the, the college football fan base will immediately just always, they'll always assume that Arizona's defense stinks no matter what is what I'm trying to say. And it doesn't, or it didn't last year. It was terrible. Um, and I'm not sure how quickly, I just don't see any playmakers. I don't know how quickly they can come back without any playmakers until they get some of these younger guys who were pretty good recruits and then bring in more good recruits. They're probably going to be kind of that, the stereotype team where their, their offense is, is somewhere between fine and good and their defense is not. Um, the next team, Washington state, this breaks my heart. <laughs> uh, this is, this I, is the one I'm most interested in because, for context, Brian Floyder, managing editor, Wazoo grad, big Wazoo fans. I think the internet in general lends itself to Wazoo fandom, unless you've got a particular horse in the Pac-12 race. I think that's fair to say that Wazoo is one of those internet darlings. Um, I like to see them good. I like to assume that they're going to take last season and create some consistency from it. And then I start looking at your preview. Um, and it, it's I, not I, terrible. No, I think no. See, here's the here's the thing. I'm previewing a team that I think will improve off of last year, and every Washington State fan thinks that they will all also thinks they will improve off of last okay. year. Okay, but but fan, uh, Washington State fans going to think of hey, we're going to improve off of nine wins. I you know I that's not the way my brain works. I'm thinking of them improving off of an S and P plus ranking of sixty third. They were they were plus three and a half turnover points per game in turnovers luck, uh, and they won games by three, seven, three, four, and six. Um, mm. So they're kind of lucky. Um, they they just they were, and they they faced uh, kind of the right schedule. They got Colorado. Uh, they faced Arizona State at, uh, in in one of Arizona State's terrible games. Arizona State was hilarious. They, they, there's no rhyme or reason for the eggs that they laid, but they laid some amazing eggs. Um, 
they you know they beat Arizona when Arizona couldn't play defense. They they uh, they played Oregon at a time when Oregon was in complete disarray, especially on defense. So I mean their timing was right, their bounces were right. They um they they if you you replay that season a hundred times, they don't win nine games very frequently. But this is where like my emotion and gut. I don't want any of what I'm saying to be true, and I want Washington State fans sure, to yeah. realize that. Uh, like, thing- I love it when Washington State's good, and I love it when Mike Leach teams are good, and, and both of those are here, and it's so much more fun uh, to talk about Mike Leach to doing fun things. But I think last year set a very, very, very unrealistic baseline. Um, I think that was closer to a 6-6 six and six or 7-5 and five team than what ended up being 9-4. and four. And for those of us who so don't I, who don't clock in and, and watch Wazoo with a, you know a steady eye, a game to game type examination, I was a, I was more than a little surprised about your stat here on big plays. So on the surface, they what led the so they lead the country in ten plus yard passes last year, two hundred. Right. Okay, that makes sense. Mike Leach, business as usual. So this is where this is what trips me up here, and I want to ask you if is this a function of moving the offense to the Pac-12 where there you have marginally better defense than the Big 12? Is this Leach needing to evolve or is this talent? What is this? So, uh, okay, so the Cougars had more passes of 10-plus yards, 200, than anyone else in the FBS, but they only had 19 30-yarders, 54th in the country, and fewer than such passing non-stalwarts as Kansas State, Florida, uh, Kansas State, Florida State, and Virginia Tech, fewer than Stanford even. What the hell, Florida, Bill? Florida, Florida, Florida Rice and Virginia Oh, I'm sorry. Tech, I, yeah, sorry. I transposed those words. Um, so. What? Huh? So basically, here, I mean, part of this is pretty easy to explain. Like, there's no Michael Crabtree here. There's, you know, they, the, the run, the pass for Mike Leach is a function of, it's, it's also the run game. They, they run, I, you know, one of the headers in this piece was called orthodox or orthodoxy because, He's still, like, while other guys are evolving, while Bobby Petrino is playing around with a, a mobile quarterback mm-hmm. uh, and, and Rich Rodriguez is running a pass-first offense, Mike Leach is still, like, this is what I'm going to do. And it, it's going to be pass, 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 pass. And a lot of those are going to be really, 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 really short passes um, that are designed to pick up three, four, five yards and, and uh, you know, move the chains like a run game would for other teams. And that's fine. I mean, so that's kind of a function of – the system and and it's it's a perfectly logical system but you still the better offenses are going to be the ones that can occasionally take those three yard passes break a tackle and burst up field um it seems like you're leading just, me to believe that there are no michael crab trees gro- growing on the apple trees of washington state right and gabe marks is i mean he was a, a, a really nice recruit four star mid four stars by rivals low to mid four star by two four seven um and, you know, he had a, an awesome year. It's basically a workhorse back. You know, he had 104 catches, but only for 1,192 yards. Um, like, he's a, he's a great efficiency option. You look at the success rates that I provided. It's, you don't see that many receivers, like, with over a 50% success rate on average, team to team. Marks was at 55%. Craycraft was at 55 Robert Lewis was at 63 which, as a slot receiver, especially as an inside receiver, that's phenomenal uh, because that's really, I mean, those those slot guys are the ones camping out in the zone and or holding the zone and whatnot and, and making sure you're you're catching the ball and, and getting three or four yards upfield. Those are excellent success rates. They are very, 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 very efficient. It's just that if you're going to be super efficient with no big plays, you can't ever make a mistake. And because that's going to, your drives, you're not going to be able to bail yourself out with like an accidental 40 yarder at some point. 
Uh, you have to go six yards at a time. This is the Navy of passing offenses, basically. Okay, all right, you just stole my thunder. This, ah. is, this is what I'm about to ask you. Wouldn't it be cool or cooler if, you know, Wazoo's still good and fun and we all love them because it snows sideways on a 60-degree day in Pullman and they drink fireball and hug each other and get in fistfights with Idaho students. All of that is wonderful. What if, what if they lean into this trend? of leading the country in 10-plus-yard passes, but they continue to regress at anything more, and they right. become the triple option of passing offenses. I mean, yeah, I am I not high is. right now, I promise. I am just throwing this out there. Is it, is it I know, I know your, your, your previous sort of built on him not changing any of his philosophy. Surely he has to notice that the quality of receiver, the separation, the physicality may be a little different for what he can recruit to Pullman. So right. what, if, what if it truly becomes peak dink and dunk? Say that three I mean, times I, fast. I, I think he's already kind of there, isn't he? I mean, I don't know how much more you can do uh, than what he is currently doing. He's... Throwing the ball like the other, my other favorite set here. Let's see if I can find it. Okay, so um, run pass rates on standard downs. Mississippi State on standard downs ran the ball the second smallest amount of time in the country. Like they only they ran the ball only forty four percent of the time on standard downs. So first down, second and five, third and two. Uh, they ran the ball only forty four percent of the time. Second lowest in the country. Um, Washington State was lowest at thirty point two percent, fourteen percent lower than the second lowest team. Um, on passing downs, Western Kentucky threw the, ran the ball only 18% of the time, second least on passing downs. Mike Leach, uh, Washington State, 10.5%. So they are so they're throwing the ball so much more than anybody else. Um, and and I mean Luke Falk is awesome at the dink and dunk. I mean he can he completed 69% of his passes last year. He might hit 70 this year. Um, and, and you know he he probably takes a few too many sacks for how quickly he's throwing the ball, but he's still like. For a leech quarterback, he does exactly what he's asked. And what he needs is for, um, you know, a, a Marks or a Robert Lewis or a Keith Harrington or Kieran Priester, the kid from Clemson or whoever, one of the new guys, to catch a six-yard pass, break a tackle, and turn it into a 35-yard game. Like one more time per game, do that. And you're in awesome shape. And they're already, I mean, what did they rank offensively? They're already in very good shape, obviously. Um, we're talking about the offense like it's the problem. But... Uh, well, actually, no. Most coaches who have even touched the leech tree or, or, or grafted something summit, something summit, something from it, have always talk about the that over time, the the whole breaking the run when you do, when you're attempting it that often, that it's going to come down more to opportunity than skill. Yeah. So if, you, in other words, if you're put in a position where you could break or you you're in that. You know, you're throwing into space against against wobbly zone coverage. Wobbly being that you've hit different different parts of the field over and over and over again to eventually you catch someone just a little off step. That that the the breaking for the thirty yard gain uh, or the you know catch for six and run for thirty is is just more circumstantial and not oh hey I'm this big physical beast that's just going right. to dominate you in single coverage. So that's probably what Leach is assuming there. I would, I, I would assume. Well, yeah, and, and here's something that, um, that I do think that hinders Leach. And by the way, I was saying they're just fine. They're actually not. They were 47th in my offensive ratings last year. They could use big plays badly. Um, one of the things that even at Texas Tech, when, you know, I'm a Missouri guy, I watch Texas Tech in person a lot. Um, 
uh, years and years ago. And it would, it would almost annoy me, even when they were playing Missouri and I was hoping they would fail. Um, it would annoy me because, I mean, you almost literally didn't have to have a middle linebacker. Like, you, you really, you knew, even if you left, you, you could dare them to run the ball between the tackles and they still were barely ever going to do it. Um, and I like when they had, what's his name? Torian Henderson, Torian Henderson, uh, at Texas tech, he still ended up with 10, 11, 12, 1300 yards. I think at like seven yards a carry because when he did get it, he, you know, it, the offense was always caught off guard on third and one, they could run the ball and the defense would be caught off guard. And I, I feel like he didn't just, I, I feel like he doesn't take advantage of that enough. People know he's going to pass, but when you're that far below, you're, you're not giving, it's almost like you're not giving the defenses enough to prepare for. If the, so, I mean, if they would run between the tackles just a little bit more it, and do it not because, you know, some sort of philosophy says you're supposed to, but because that's where the openings in the field are. I, I love the idea of a home run play being an ISO draw. Yeah. Which yeah. is kind of what we're recommending here. I mean, we saw that we've actually seen that at Baylor, but you know, back in like the late Seastrunk days, where he would, you know, they they would spread guys or teams so wide from sideline to sideline that you know they, they'd give it to uh, Lake Seastrunk up the middle. He'd just go straight up the middle, beat the safety's angles. Uh, who's that? Kansas State. They, you have that great on YouTube. You've got that great like uh, overhead cam view of him just going straight uh, and and outrunning everybody. Like I do feel like there's a, a certain aspect of Leach's personality that just won't let him run the ball more, and I do think that hinders them a little bit. But that said, I mean, it's, the defense is still the weaker side of the ball, and to to his credit, I actually I really like the hire he made last year of Alex Grinch, and not just because he's a Mizzou guy. Um, but I mean, he, I, I, I'm curious what he can, what Grinch can do there because he really, it's like a, a an aggressive bend don't break is kind of what he tries to do. Like they, they, they are going to play bend don't break for the most part, but he's pretty good at, um, like Dave Steckel, the old Missouri defensive coordinator, really good at picking their spots. Um, and I think you know they did improve defensively last year, I think, and I, I, they should probably. Um, again, their secondary is going to be awesome. Their pass defense is going to be awesome. They were terrible against the run last year. Um, that might improve a smidge this year, but no, I mean that. And again, I'm talking about a team that in my head will improve. It's just my version of improvement might be regression to a whole lot of people. Are you okay with the common narrative right now that it's going to be Washington winning the conference, but not really even ever factoring into the playoff race, man. I, I I feel like I had a role in starting that converse, uh, that narrative, um, I, I remember this being discussed internally, but then, I mean, this thing, talk about a virus. I mean, I th- this has just become your, your like the baseline I know, talking that, point for this conference. That surprises me a lot because they didn't usually that, uh, usually that is accompanied by some amazing bowl performance that we're overreacting to. And they were awesome against Southern Miss in the bowl. Southern Miss played really, really well and still couldn't stay within single digits. But yeah, but like what kind of I remember watching that game. It was on like a, like, you know, one o'clock in the afternoon, a couple of days after Christmas. Right. What kind of bowl bounce do you get by beating Southern Exactly. Miss, it doesn't know, feel like this is a bowl bounce. It almost feels like this is <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not going to pretend to be the source of this, but it does feel like this is based partially in the fact that everybody seems to. Ex- well, opinion makers seem to be leaning on stats a little bit in this regard. Maybe that's y'all it. at Bill with them opinions. All right. Maybe that's Pay the, the Piper. We'll call this the FPI effect so that I have nothing to do with it. But, um, <laughs> but, 
But no, I mean, it really kind of feels like that. I mean, that's the case. They were what seven and six last year, something like that. Eight and five, which one of those two? And um, I mean, I can totally justify how high they ranked in my numbers because they kind of followed that Arkansas path of the year before, where they they lost a bunch of close games, and when they looked good, they looked amazing. And so, you know, from a stat perspective, you 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 play that out over a hundred games, you end up with a really good record, not seven and six. Um, but I think the difference between those two phenomenon is that I've never had a Washington uh, radio show call me and, and demand on air why I think that they could possibly finish lower than nine and three. <laughs> um, maybe that's just unique to the natural state. Yeah. Yeah, I've kind of had a similar uh, <coughs> experience there. No, uh, but it, it does feel like it's I mean, people are making this call for the right reason. It's just like it, it's a snowball rolling downhill like. You know, at some point, you're like, whoa, 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 I thought I was high on this team, and, and now I'm supposed to have them in the top five? You know, it's, it starts to pick up uh, steam to the, to a re- kind of a destructive degree. But, no, there's no question. As good as they were when they were good last year, with all, like, freshmen and sophomores, um, that says amazing things about the team moving forward. I'm not sure. I mean, t- winning the Pac-12. I mean, UCLA, USC are going to be pretty good. Oregon's going to be we're, – we're seeming to suddenly ignore Oregon. Uh, as if they they are. Are we ignoring uh, Stanford too? I I I don't think so. I know your, your Stanford preview is not up yet, and, and right. so I may be cheating. Stanford yeah. loses a lot. Stanford has to replace a lot of guys who aren't named McCaffrey. Um, so they're going to be kind of. But but I mean they've done that before, and they they rarely fall off. They're going to be a top fifteen team probably. Um, it's just. You know, I guess if you think Washington's going to win, it's because you think Washington's like top five or ten, and that that dare, does. I mean, we, even even with what my numbers said, that scares the hell out of me. So dare we apply the? By the way, I was watching backups, punk Iowa in the Rose Bowl. Um, second string guy, they were bringing in sub line men, you name it. Uh, dare we apply the system label to to the to the Cardinal? Well, the thing about like, him, I mean, this or is the plug and play cliche, right? Well, I mean. We, they've kind of done it. So, you know, we, I think we, th- they have the reputation now. And I mean, one of the things that I still remember David Shaw play, uh, telling me during the, the, the first book, when I was doing interviews for the first book, um, I mean, he said like one of their, one of the things they absolutely stress is competition. And if you do the right things in practice, even if there are two guys ahead of you on the depth chart, if you're doing the right things in practice and you're clearly proving yourself, you'll still get on the field. And he, I mean, he said they try to play more guys and rotate in more guys than anybody else. And sometimes you end up with a situation like they did last year where they just didn't have any defensive linemen. Um, so they couldn't really go three deep. They just, you know, circumstance created a situation where they were very thin in that regard. Um, but in most cases, that means even when you lose your starters, the guys behind them are are solid, dependable, experienced guys. And, and if you Which is why I feel like if you take the if you take the names off it and, and you give this the same PR treatment that you would to a, a consistent winner in another conference, like the Southeastern Conference, people would be clamoring right now that Stanford is being underrated. And they possibly are. Um, I, if you ask me who I trust more right now, Stanford or Washington, I say Stanford absolutely. Right. I mean I just this feels like this really feels like a you know one of those embarrassing hindsight segments we'll do come Christmas you know hey remember when Washington was supposed to win the Pac twelve yeah. nothing against Washington I am speaking I, I want to clarify on that because we'll get to Washington but I'm really just talking about Stanford in this instance yeah no I I mean I 
I completely understand why Washington ranks where they do in my rankings, and I kind of like it. I always like it when my numbers produce something like that. Um, I'm not used to everybody else picking up on the same thing, so I can't even really I can't even really bang the drum because the drum's already been you know broken. It's been banged so much. So, all right, let's do this. We'll put a pin in this because neither the Washington or the Stanford preview are out yet, and I really do feel like it's going to be a two horse race in the uh, in the Pac-12. So we'll maybe jump back on this next week because I might have some questions relative to specifics in your preview. Um, real fast before we jump into questions. Um, 10,000-foot look at at the state of Arizona. About the same? I know we touched on the fact that we don't really know what the defense is going to be for Arizona, but... Right. Well, Arizona State... ASU is one of those... I mean, I know, like, they kind of got some stupid... They got, got like, maybe a dose of some stupid love. Shout out to Ty Hildenbrandt, by the way. He had him in his playoff four last year. Um, I, I like that others did that because I had them very high, too. I just didn't have them that high. So now I can, you know, plausible deniability... Um, Arizona State, I really, I was, I, I mean, I was perfectly happy with the ASU preview that went up yesterday, but I was kind of, I like being able to, you know, this process that I use for setting up these previews and walking through each section and whatnot, it gives me, by the time I'm done, I have a pretty good feel for like, if something surprising happened last year, I can pretty much, I can pretty much hone in on what happened and why. And, um, and I, that's, I, I, I like my hindsight ability in that regard. Um, because it's, I mean, to, to figure out if something's going to happen again, it's kind of, you know, kind of good to know what happened. Arizona State still kind of confuses me a little bit. They, they, last year, their defense was horrific, uh, by, by their standards anyway. And, um, and it was weird because, I mean, he's always had an aggressive, fast-paced offense. That's always, that's been his thing for a very long time. And so he knows, like, the, you know, the, the depth angle of that. You need to play a lot of guys on defense so they don't wear out. Last year, they didn't play, like, the second string hardly at all. They, they basically played four linemen. They basically played, like, six de- defensive backs, and one of those guys got hurt in the second game of the year. Like, he was sticking to those starters. Um and they, they died. Like, here's their per-quarter ranking. Like, first quarter, S&P plus second, et cetera. First quarter, 24th. Second quarter, uh, this is defense. So, first quarter, 24th. Second quarter, 22nd. Third quarter, 54th. Fourth quarter, 125th. And part of that is, you know, this doesn't filter out. Uh, those numbers don't filter out garbage time. So, if, if you play in a lot of blowouts, your defense might stink in the fourth quarter. But that's, that's terrible. They didn't play in that many blowouts to where they could go from 24th in the first quarter to 125th in the fourth. Um, and, and so you can look at that and very clearly see that, okay, well, they, they, they had terrible depth. Well, how the hell did, how did the hell did they have terrible depth? Like they didn't even, you're not looking at a situation where they have like 15 red shirt freshmen who are going to jump in and fix things. Like they, their, their backups that they didn't play were like sophomores and juniors last year and they just didn't play them. So does that mean they're terrible? <laughs> Cause if it means they're terrible and that's why they didn't play, I don't know why they'd be any better this year. Uh, worth noting just to restart the meme, I guess, um, we, we're talking a lot about the Texas jobs being open, <laughs> not just Texas, but Texas A&M. I, I mean, it is worth mentioning. I, I've asked, I asked coaches about that, and there are names that you want to plug into, like the high, high-caliber jobs in Texas because, you, you, you know, you armchair it, but everyone I've talked to said, well, you know, let, let's not forget Todd here. You know, he, he would make a play at that job. Yeah. The, now, the, the contrast with that is that you have them projected, I think, at, what, 5.4 wins? Something. What is that? 5.6 wins yeah. in your preview. So that's not, that's not the resume you're going to need. Um, 
it would be doable to make a run. I don't think it would be likely to make a run, but it is not a name that I would completely factor out. I just I just leave it at that. <laughs> You're just gonna laugh at that. Yeah, I know. It feels it almost feels like we're making a joke when you say that, but there, there is truth. Yeah. I mean, he's not, he's not a guy who's gonna finish his career in you know at Arizona. Actually, it's not gonna happen. We're gonna transition into questions. Here's look at me, another Sieg. Uh, we're gonna transition transition into our user questions with the one about Texas. Um, because oh yeah, because now that I'm, I'm thinking about it, and, and I, I had something I wanted to say about it, so look, we're going to pull that question up here. Uh, Texas, as as I find out where. It went. Okay, Texas. <laughs> Our friends at the Frogcast TCU podcast um, had a question about Texas. What happens when Texas goes six and six? Uh, he gives out the losses, but that 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 doesn't really matter. They go six and six. So we've been talking about this in our Slack college football room these last. Yeah, this question days. actually came in about an hour after we had this this conversation this morning, um, and few programs really. We're not that type of outfit where we're sitting down breaking down schedules all the time. Uh, really, it takes a special kind of program with the right circumstances and the and the right amount of anxiety and money and 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 news headlines and the, and that's to, well it was texas it was texas bill i sat in new york last year with some colleagues and some co-workers and we at that point and i just want you to flip back in your mind to what texas was at that point yeah heisman week okay so they just finished a very lackluster year we didn't really know what they were going to do in recruiting um i think we had just started to see a&m's entire quarterback depth chart just you know disappear and transferred out to you know, relegated soccer teams and what have you. Um, we all sort of came to the agreement that a three and four, four and three Texas is getting Charlie fired. I don't think that's the case anymore. I really don't. I think the schedule becomes a lot more manageable, mainly because one of the pillars of the conference has completely crumbled in the time in which we talked about that. And then second to that, which is what how this whole conversation got started at work this morning was, but Elliot talking about how much Texas has benefited from recruits leaving Baylor. So I think 247 now has Texas at sixth in the nation for this past signing class. That's a really quiet sixth in the nation. So if, you know, the armchair narrative or whatever on Charlie was that develops the hell out of his players, creates an incredibly great environment, all that stuff, super fantastic defensive mind. He struggled on offense. People were a little curious about how he would recruit Texas. It looks like he's recruiting Texas pretty damn well. So all of a sudden, you lose to Notre Dame, and maybe you trip against Okie State. I, I don't, I, I don't really think that you know the pitchforks are coming. If that's the case, I, things have changed. I just it feels different, right? And and I mean, you know, being able to, to kind of shore up the 2016 class that's really not going to help you much this fall, obviously. But but it lends to well, a that's better, equity. Right, that it, is, it lends that, to that is the here, here. Here, let me. There is a another viewpoint there too. Um, Let's say, no, I mean, I, I have never spoken to Texas athletic director, but if you're a Texas athletic director, let's say that you have, and this is, this is a, this is mean, <laughs> this is kind of mercenary, but let's say that you have, you, you have, you're quite sure, you're very confident that if you were to dump Charlie Strong, you'll get Tom Herman. Okay. So you reach the end, I'm playing you along. reach the end of this season, um, Texas showed promise, uh, you know, with a bunch of freshmen playing, you know, they, they were, they were solid. They finished six and six, seven and five, something like that. 
Um, now, I mean, you could say that maybe that's a little disappointing because the Big 12's middle sec- the Big 12 midsection isn't quite as good as it as it was before. But let's but let's say they show there's just enough promise there that you and you think that if you have Charlie Strong within a couple of years, you really might be able to put a top ten team on the field. Mm-hmm. Or you take what Charlie Strong has built, and you say, wouldn't this wouldn't this roster, wouldn't this collection of talent do better under Tom Herman? Mm. Ooh, some dangerous lines. Of it's logic very there. dangerous. I, I this is <laughs> I realize this isn't uh, you know this is new for me, but. I think if you're Texas and you have, you have to at least consider that. Now, this could all hilariously blow up in your face if, like, you say, you know what? Yes, let's go after Tom Herman. And then he, like, takes the A&M job or something. Um, I don't think he would. I think if, I, I, you know. You mean over Texas? But. That's well, not or, or, you know, whatever. Just, or, just, or Urban Meyer retires and he goes to Ohio State. Let's, I mean, there's like a. Just, just hang on, hang on. Let me put the reporter hat on real fast. <laughs> Actually do my job for a second. I'm telling you. I'm telling you, sources right. tell me if Tom Herman had to choose between Texas and A&M, he's taking the Texas. I, I completely okay, hat off. My, my, my point is, there's never going to be a hundred percent chance that you land him. Could go straight. He could go straight to the Dallas right. Cowboys. Or you know, know. he uh, goes thir- fourteen and zero this year, makes the playoff or whatever, and Houston offers him like a ten million dollar a year contract somehow. Uh, point is, and joins sure, the Big Twelve. Yeah. Uh, point is. That there's never going to be a hundred percent chance of that, but if if you are up in the 70, 80, 90 percent range, confidence wise, that has to be at least on the table, right? Like you're not, you didn't hire Charlie Strong, like you pretty much can, like it it, it would annoy some people, but the, but of course this is college football. If you annoy a bunch of people and then you hire Tom Herman, people will forget they were annoyed in a heartbeat. So you have to at least think about that, right? Like I, I, I would assume at this point with with the young guys he has that if he goes six and six, he survives. If he goes five and seven, he might survive, uh, just because he's going to be playing not. so many young guys. It's it's at least going to be on the table if it's like whatever an encouraging five and seven is. Like you know there there is there are some glimpses of upside that go even beyond what we saw last year with OU and Baylor games. Oh, again though, and I'll consult you. By the way, spoiler alert: the big story I was talking about. I'm writing about Texas right now. Um for the college football preview, if I make the deadline. Um, Perception is equity in Texas. So what I was saying at the top, and you are correct, because you grabbed three or four more blue chips and you bumped up to 247 rankings, it doesn't mean anything for August, September, October. But it does allow, it does give you more equity. Now, the, the flip side of that is, the perception works against you. And right now, everyone in Texas thinks Baylor is a slain dragon forever, right? So you have to win that game. Well, then they look around and see that TCU is in what Texas fans feel like a transition year, a reloading year, whatever you want to call it. Okay, well, what's left? Well, we beat, we beat Oklahoma last year, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Okay. I don't think anyone at Texas is going to want to fire the guy unless he gets completely run out of the building by Notre Dame. All right? After that, Texas fans are going to expect to win every right. game this year. They, you are going to beat – you are – damn it, you are going to beat Kansas, Iowa State, um, Baylor. You really, really, really should win at Oklahoma State. Baylor, by the way, still has a lot of talent and uh, a coaching staff that it's, knows how to – Who I, I mean, asterisk, yeah. who knows? I don't know. I'd be – I hate going to practices more than life itself because it teaches you nothing if you're just casually standing there like a beat reporter. But I would love to watch it, to watch like the first five <laughs> Baylor practices yeah. this summer because 
God only knows what they're installing or, or not installing. Yeah, I don't think they're installing things. anything. I don't know. But I, the, the, there is such thing as, and I realize I'm a stat person saying this, there is a vibe. Um, there, there, there are vibes within certain teams uh, that can be good or bad. And who the yeah. hell knows about Baylor's? Who, about their chi? To, who knows about their chi? Okay. But, but if you're Texas, it doesn't matter. Because you beat them last year, damn it. You're going to beat them again. You're at home against Baylor this year. You're going to go to Lubbock and win this year. Damn it. Regardless of if there's any improvement, shout out to David Gibbs, our homies up there in our Red Raider defense. But it doesn't matter. So, so as much as as much as the recruiting coup in this weird little pocket of of recruiting that happened post Baylor, that's great. Defensive de- defensive improvement, that's great. Beating Art Bryles the last time he was at Baylor, that carries a lot of weight, way more than anyone Burn Orange is ever going to admit because those. That program became that, that fan base became obsessed with what Baylor was doing, obsessed with a capital O. You want to come at me about that and be a Texas fan? Let me give a five second pause here. I'm going to go ahead and give you the earmuff warning for children in your vehicle. One, two, three, four, five. You're fucking full of shit. Okay, Texas. <laughs> Texas slept and dreamt of Baylor. Okay, and one. Two, three, four, five. So okay. How, how exactly do they know to turn the, the the sound in the car back up? Like, there's no sort of because I'm going by that scrub time on your iPod. If you use, if you listen to us on iTunes, anybody who listens to podcast knows what I'm talking. You can scrub forward. And it's like ten seconds ish. You can just okay. scrub forward. <laughs> so that way, and then you'll just get the silence. And I kept my I, like the that was a really tepid, profane outburst for me. I mean, I can I can filibuster anyway. Uh, yeah. Back to the back to our friends at the Frogcast. I don't I don't see this as a six win team right now. But if that happens, I think if I have to, I hate putting a magic number on this. Seven is seven a magic? Let's just say seven and move on. Sure. Seven and don't lose. I, Oklahoma is not a must win. Just don't. This is not the year you lose to Iowa State or Kansas or or you know. On, on down with Texas Tech, you, you, this is not that year for Charlie. It really can't be. Because if you don't, if you take care of business in all those games, I think you're going to win over another little percentage of the population that hated yeah. you being hired. This is going to be a slow campaign because they're not going to get any – I mean, they're, they're going to ceiling out at eight, nine wins. I think nine wins, you know, if everything happens correctly. So, it, it, God, by the, it just dawned on me as I was about to, about to speak something completely different. I'm just going to stop my own train of thought, Bill. Can you imagine what a nine-win Texas team that beats TCU the day after Thanksgiving that wins it? Like, let's let's just say they get an at-large to one of the the playoff bowl, like like they're in the peach or something. Oh no, the peach is whatever. Yeah. This year, but you, like, is the cotton? Yeah, whatever. And they drub somebody. So let's say they play Arkansas, or I don't know, just some SEC. Okay, how about large. this? I, I got it. I got it. I got it. And they okay. whip them. Well, the reason I'm going to this is this would be that would be the longest off season for everyone who isn't a Texas fan in I, the I, a, world. A more interesting scenario is they go eight and four, but okay. they drub Arkansas in a bowl game, and uh, and they're like depending on the eight. Well, I I still like if they draw. Let's say they they finish the year. Let's say they're like three and four or whatever, and then they beat Baylor, Texas Tech, West Virginia, Kansas, TCU, and they crush Arkansas okay. or really any SEC team, okay. but especially Arkansas because it's Arkansas, and they finish uh, eight and five, nine and four, whatever. 
something in that range. Like Ole Miss and the Cotton Bowl. Okay, yeah, yeah. And 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 then next year, uh, they're basically like preseason number two in the country. <laughs> they wouldn't. You God know help they us all. It would destroy my USC media theory. It would destroy it. Nothing. There is no greater machine than that. A fully operational Texas. Think about this. A national title caliber or in the conversation Texas. The first time in LHN's history. Yeah. Right? The first the first time in the playoffs history. Oh, Jesus. It's like a monster. We've never. That, they would be getting preseason number one votes. It would be hilarious. After going like nine and four, it'd be oh. hilarious. By the way, here's what we'll, we'll transition off of Texas to another question. But first, you mentioned the, the, word, the letters U.S. and C. Um, my 1972 piece will be coming up later today at Football Study Hall, one of the many, many projects yep. that I've been undergoing this, this offseason. Um, I came up with a tidbit that you'll really enjoy. So the 1972 USC team was amazing, like best in the country. They, they crushed like number four Arkansas in the first week of the season, moved to number one in the country and didn't even think about they, they just They plowed through the rest of the year, crushed Ohio State, won the national title going away. So... Um, that, so that's what we we assume. There's a lot of that at US in USC's history, uh, as as and as you've said, you know, we all assume that any moment now USC is going to be really good again. What so since Howard Jones, their great coach of the 20s and 30s, he he passed away. Uh, he had a heart attack in like June of of 1941. Since then, they've made 13 hires. If you if you count John Robinson twice, and he was two very different coaches uh, early and late in his career. So 13 hires. Of those, how many? We'll, we'll let, I'll let you guess. Of those thirteen, how many do you think have led USC to at least one top five finish? Thirteen hires. Three, four. You're supposed to say like seven. Oh, oh, oh! I'm supposed to be an idiot. Yes. Nine, okay. ten, perfect. Four is the answer. Idiot. Yeah. I, 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 I never really looked at it in that way. I mean, it really is. I think USC might be the most unique job in the country. And I mean, that's, that's not a, that's not a, 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 a crazy, that's, that's not a brand new thought that only I've ever had, but it is hilarious to me. Like looking through that, it is more stark than just about any other school. Like you can, Alabama can stink if they hire a bad enough coach or a coach who's not right enough for the job. But, um, right. Well, and I mean, they, yeah, I actually think he did an okay job there. They, it's hilarious that he's Mike he's, he's uh, Francione, by the way, the only head coach who isn't in the Bear Bryant Museum because he left. Um, they have Mike Debose in the in the Bear in the Bear Bryant Museum. Uh, he stunk, but he didn't leave them. That's I love that. Um, but no, you can grope your secretary, just don't take another job. That's right. But no, I mean, like just Cravath. Uh, in, in the '40s, was okay. Went to some Rose Bowls because of, you know they didn't weren't in a very good conference. Jess Hill had one top five finish. Don Clark had three weird years. John McKay had a ton, obviously. Don, John Robinson the first time had a ton. Ted Tolner, eh. Larry Smith had a couple good years, never a great year, uh, and then bombed out. You know, lost his temper at the media and bombed out. Paul Hackett sucked. Uh, Pete Carroll, great. Lane Kiffin, eh. He got to sixth. He did get to sixth. But it's it's like you either have it or you don't with this job, and that's really, I I, I intuitively I would have kind of sort of guessed all of this, but that was stark. Like four guys have led at USC to a top five ranking in the last seventy five years. Anyway, next question. Hey, speaking of USC, yes, 
South Carolina, though. I was just kidding. Oh, okay. I was just kidding. Our, our, our transition streak is over. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, as a uh, – as oh, by the way, Rick Johnston uses the phrase SC, but he's talking about South Carolina, so I just – that just that, that will forever. Anybody want to fight? There's your fight. Uh, as an SC South Carolina fan who is scared of the Muschamp hire, is it a bad hire because of narrative, or do Bill's numbers back it up? Um, before we go to Bill's numbers, I would say it's not a bad hire at all. It's the hire you had to make. Um, <laughs> I think it's increasingly. Well, yeah. um, hmm. How would I say this on the record? Uh, based on the people that we were led to believe were finalists for that job. Will Muschamp was going to be your most realist option, okay? So, well, yeah, yeah okay. Um, I'll leave it at that. Uh, I, I actually have to go back and remember what I can and can't say about the South Carolina shirts, which I would say is the South Carolina search, when my statute of limitations are all gone, was the most interesting search of the last, of the last season. There were, like, way, way better hires, and, and I think, like, you know, Mark Rick to Miami, Fuente, all, like we talk about all the time. But that South Carolina search got interesting. Um, he is what South Carolina has to do in the landscape, which is take a proven commodity to rally a base that's perpetually afraid of falling out of whatever kind of perch that they've carved out for themselves in a highly competitive market. This would be, what, the third time in a row that they've gone with a guy who's been a, who's been a head coach at a high-profile institution. I think he knows a lot more this time around than he did last time. I know for a fact that he has said he would have hired Kurt Roper. Uh, He should have hired Kurt Roper the day he got hired at Florida. He obviously suffered through the Weiss stuff and what Brent Peace from Boise. Um, I think they'll have more of a consistency on offense than you ever saw at Florida. Unfortunately, he had to learn on the job training and a very, very high profile gig, but that's what the market created, which were really young in vogue recruiting coordinators who took jobs that were too big for them at their age. Um, It's not a bad hire. It's not a good hire because we don't know those things yet. Um, It is sort of the hire you had to make, though. Bill? Um, Ron Zook. So um, he had no business getting the Florida job, clearly. But he got it and recruited pretty well and, and whatever. And then... He, he, he wasn't very good uh, at, at actually winning more than – or at losing fewer than five games per year. In fact, he never did it. Got dumped after three years. Fine. He goes to Illinois, um, and we'll, just, we'll say that his, the product he put out at Illinois was more consistently solid than they've really seen in like 20 years, 25 years. Um, that you know they tripped up a few times. They only ended up with like what three solid seasons. They got tired of him and finally dumped him. Whatever. He wasn't that great. But Illinois isn't that great either. They like I, it. It would have taken an amazing hire for somebody to to for for Illinois to do better than they did with Ron Zook. Um. So I think like yeah, if you fail at a Florida, that doesn't you can still produce kind of at an average or above average level for the job that you've got uh, the next time around, especially if the next time around is, you know, at least a little bit lower in stature. South Carolina is a fine job, but it's not Florida. Um, so I don't know where the, the, the issue for me is I don't know where you set the bar for South Carolina now. Like a decent coach in South Carolina can recruit at a top 25 level. Uh, and if you're going to recruit at a top 25 level, then it would seem to me you should probably you could probably put a top 25 
product on the field. And if you do that, you're going to win a lot of games. And, and, you know, if your timing is right with experience and whatnot, maybe you win an East division. That's I, 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 I think that's absolutely possible with South Carolina, but I don't know. I mean, I think there's, there might be kind of a trust thing here too. Like I, when you, you've got a lot of hires right now in the East where guys should be putting a top 25 product on the field and, and could soon, like, I mean, Butch Jones is already there. Um, Georgia probably won't be any lower than that. They might not be top five, but they're not going to be lower than top 25 on average. Florida is fine. I, I don't, I'm not convinced. I don't know what McElwain's going to do for sure, but they'll probably be all right. Um, Missouri, I, I mean, I've, I've been a Barry, Barry Odom homer for 20 years, and that's not going to change right now. But, it, you know, I understand if you're going to put them a little bit lower. But, like, I don't know where South Carolina fits in there. They should be fine. But I don't know what fine means. Who's that young quarterback I saw against BYU for Missouri? I like him. Uh, Drew Lock. Drew Lock. I do like that kid a lot. He's, you know, give him a situation where he's not a true freshman with a terrible offensive line and a yep. receiving core full of sophomores. <laughs> he, he, he's probably going to be just fine. Like that kid um, has that kid has the ability to do something his, better than what Missouri's offense has. I, I am I, I am a very hardened. Uh, practice watcher. Like I'll go to the scrimmages in August. I'll go to you know spring football. All that. Like I, I I understand. Like what you see doesn't really count for anything. Uh, but I it the accuracy he had last August, like just running around and throwing fifteen yard passes, like he was handing them off. Like it was amazing. Like it still sticks with me because it was something I hadn't seen before. The only other time I could remember a quarterback in a practice setting impressing me that much was when Blaine Gabbert was scrambling to his left, like in. I don't know, oh nine or something in in the spring game, and just kind of like flicks his wrist and throws wrist and throws the ball about seventy five yards, rolling to his left. Uh, that was the only other time that really somebody, a quarterback in a practice setting, made me say "damn." But Drew Locke made me say "damn" a lot uh, in those practices last August, and that's you know again that that doesn't really mean anything, but he's really talented, and the offensive line is the single issue on the table for Missouri this year. If the offensive line is somehow competent. Everything else, like defense, is still going to be good. Drew Locke's going to be better. Skill position guys are going to be not worse. Actually, the Alex Ross, the the kid they got from OU, um, who got stuck behind P Ryan. I really like Alex Ross. I think he he's a perfect fit. Everything on this Missouri team should be all right, uh, except that offensive line might still be a total black hole. We'll see. That wasn't my point. <laughs> my point was South Carolina, and I have absolutely no idea. So there you go. I'm still uh, okay. So I'm looking at some uh, some text messages. Yeah, that. Um, I still can't say this publicly without making sure I <laughs> portray anybody's trust here. Mustang is as good as you were going to get. You should be really happy. Let's move on to something I can actually talk about and not screw up. Um, huh. Let's do a couple more questions or just one more question before uh, Bill coming off of a loss and then a bye week really needs to rebound in blind box score bingo. Just saying. I don't know if you've gone and reevaluated some things after the loss. Maybe, maybe played with your systems a little bit. Kind of. Nope, not a thing. Went back to basics. No, just confident. Just practice through it, right? Sure. Yeah. There's a process. We we stick to the process. Oh, I bet. Well, let's do Saunders forty-five. Okay. Um. I got it. Most dominated performances slash biggest Heisman snubs. Um. And I mean, I actually this there's no he he submitted my answer. Uh. Oh, ah, I see. Oh nine and Dominican Sue was um 
I don't think there's ever been a situation where a single player has been that much more dominant than anybody else in the country. Um, I have a tough I, time I mean, with this question, Bill, because the Heisman is a terrible, terrible metric. Well, of course. Um, and I just like, I, I, I think into 09, I, I was at that point, like, you know, I was still, that, that was only what my second year of writing about like national college football for football outsiders. Um, I was still just naive enough to think that if a defensive player was so much better than everybody else, so ridiculously on a different plane than everybody else in the country, that it, you know there could still be an, enough open-mindedness for him to win the award. That was really stupid on my part. And, and seven years later, I know that's ridiculous, and the Heisman voters are ridiculous. Um, but he was—I mean, who did he finish behind? That was—he finished behind Mark Ingram and and Gerhardt, right? Like on on the scale of dominance on a one to ten scale, like Ingram and, and Gerhardt were both very good. They were like eights and nines, and Sue was like a twenty eight. Like it, it was just it was embarrassing. I was it was embarrassing to see his name behind them because he was so much better than them. So that that's that's going to always be my answer. And and in 05, um, Bye didn't do much to deserve that award. I think um, I, that was really that was pretty um, underwhelming performance. Start. By don't just don't even worry about the Heisman. It's the most overhyped single achievement award in a team sport in in America, right? But but I get why people do because you can't escape it. Yeah, no, oh, I know why they, they can't escape it is because they've been so tactical in the corporate sponsorships and partnerships that they've developed oh, yeah. with ABC, ESPN, with Nissan. I mean, it is shoved down our damn throats, and I am have a fantastic working relationship with ESPN. And we'll do stories like, um, you know, we'll do stories like the the big game day thing that we did last year because I feel like game day is, you know, it, it, it's a table setter and it, it's something that I think elevates the sport and it's 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 a matter of record and all that stuff and people kind of swear by it. But like ESPN does a terrible job turning the Heisman into something I don't feel like it should be because specifically because of the the way that the voting is set up and the politicking that's involved. And I mean, God, we all said, I mean, I don't even think, I think the Heisman's completely different last year. If the PAC 12 championship is on at a different time on a different day, right? It's just a dumb, dumb way of, of the way it's set up. It's so highly political. It's, it speaks to the ills that, that provincialism kind of creates in college football. I don't like it. It goes, I mean, I don't want to sound like, bitter about the Charles Woodson, Peyton Manning thing because I'm a Southerner, but I mean, that's a great example. There are a ton more. It's just a very dumb award, and it's it's filled with asterisks and pockmarks, and I don't like it. It's one of the few things about the sport that I would just completely just whoosh, get rid of in a second. It is, it is an annual reminder that um, a whole lot of very, very, very um, unlike us people, uh, how many of them run this sport? Yes. A very, that's a very good way of putting it, Bill. We get lots of reminders of that. Constant reminders of that. Every time Bob Bowlesby opens his mouth, we get a reminder of that. But it, it is a constant reminder of that, and it's just it's very frustrating. Like we, We've created this kind of universe that we live in during the season that where we really do try to maximize fun uh, and enjoyment of the sport, and then you, know, you get the Heisman, and you get like not, media who have to watch the Heisman ceremony from like a different building because... Uh, they are not 
you know, high enough on the on the uh, totem pole, or they aren't club members, or whatever that situation is. I, I was I, I heard about that at Peisman last year, and it, it uh, uh, while we were busy having fun. Yes. But anyway, no, I just like there's this level of just crap that, that reminds me of politics to a degree that makes me sick a little bit. And so Robert Baker <laughs> has a really good question here that I don't know if I can answer. Um, that's why I chose it. RE line depth at schools with NCAA sanctions. Do O lines or D lines get hit harder, interior or exterior? Why? Um, so the common held logic of line attrition during NCA sanctions, probations, whatever, is because you're, it's not that you uh, you get your scholarships knocked down to like, I don't know, let's say 70 or something like that, and you just stop recruiting linemen on both sides of the ball. What happens is you lose talent overall. You lose, you lose usually you, you <laughs> I'm trying to remember, if I, I wish I had my James Franklin notes. When I was up there this winter, they, they were going over how they rebuilt it by position in terms of allotting scholarships. Um, at Penn State, and they were pretty even. They they kind of held. They basically took the same framework that they would have if they had a healthy eighty five, and then just did that like on a one to one ratio. Um, it's that you don't get to rotate linemen in and out, which is what you need to do because they're very large, very very active people on a football field. And when you don't have, you know, if, if you have one or two less wide receivers or one or two less defensive backs, it, it may show up. It will show up over time. If you have one or two less starting defensive linemen or offensive linemen, it's going to show up a hell of a lot faster because of the aggression, the pace of the game, um, the, if you're in the power five especially, because you just you, you have to rotate guys in and out on snaps. And that's, that's the simplest way to explain it. Yeah. I, I don't know if there's an offensive or defensive. I, I think it really just depends on what the school had to begin with. I do think that the offense probably has an advantage in that regard. I would um, say the I mean, offense you, has an re- advantage based off of coaches I've talked to have been in situations where they were handicapped one way or the other because you can usually bring in a JUCO offensive lineman who's going to ad- who's going to adapt and plug in a little bit faster and a little cleaner than on the defensive side of the ball. Well, and, and just like, I mean, if you can get away with it, you can play the same five guys on offense all year. Um, I, I, you know, you, you will occasionally see that. Somebody usually gets hurt, and that's, you know, it is whatever. I think there's... Um, a continuity, a continuity is very, very important with the offensive line. It seems like the the biggest thing is just like whatever your lineup ends up being on on week one, try to maintain it. Um, but I mean, guys get hurt. That's fine. You you sub in new guys. Eventually, you can get to walk ons and it'll hurt. So I have that's, a question for it, you. It's completely off the. It's not completely off this topic. It's it's just it's spun out from it. Well, let me finish the one last sentence and then we'll we'll spin out. Um, so you, you can get away with playing five guys on the, on offense. I don't think you can get away with playing four guys on a four-man line. As I, as I was just talking about with, with Todd Graham yes. uh, at Arizona State, like you probably need seven or eight. And, the, and so at that point, if you need five versus need seven or eight, uh, it's, it would seem like the numbers crunch would hit the one that needs seven or eight. But anyway. Oh, and also, by the way, your left tackle on first down is also your left tackle on third down. Right. Your yeah. your your uh, strong and weak side ends are going to be completely different based off of down distance and and what you think is coming in terms of a play. If you're not just being tempo to death, that's that's probably why I would say defense. Actually, and the more I think about it, it's not so much just the the standard rotation of defensive line; it's the situational substitutions that go on. Um, okay, when was the first time in your life as a football fan or a writer or whatever that you noticed an, a a truly dominant offensive line? Because mine was Super Bowl twenty five, the Buffalo Bills. 
Oh, right, yeah. Um, I would say, like, I didn't, I didn't watch a ton of, um, well, I didn't ever watch college football in person until I came to college. Um, you know, I watched, like, high school football and whatnot, but that's just, that's an overall talent thing more than anything else. Um, the, actually, I, I would say my freshman year, uh, 97, Missouri, Nebraska, Okay. 97 Missouri's offensive line was really, 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 really good. Like kind of the road graders, they're all, I think then they were all like 310 pounds, which is like, you know, 345 now. Um, And they had the big like 265 pound fullback. That was a big meaty line. And of course, then the Nebraska offensive line in the mid to late 90s, it was, you know, absurd every single year. There was absolutely no getting around that. So I would say that's probably... No, those Nebraska teams were probably my first exposure to just teams that could, you know, you couldn't ever, you would work so hard to get into the backfield or make a stop that wasn't four yards downfield, and you never could, and then you just wore out. Like, your your will gave way. I think I would have to say Nebraska. I feel like of a certain age, it would be one of those Nebraska teams in the 90s. Yeah. Um, I just, I grew up in an NFL environment in, in the suburbs of D.C. around a bunch of Northeastern kids, and there were a lot of Giants fans on my block, and I just remember in that Super Bowl specifically, they were talking about all the things that like Lawrence Taylor and Carl Banks were going to do, and I just remember sitting at this kid's house watching that game in 1990, so when I was like nine years old, and, and, and nothing happening, like nothing. Like they were just <laughs> swallowed whole by an offensive line that did whatever it wanted to. It was kind of amazing. Um, all right. Bingo. You ready? Yep. You feel, how do you feel? I, I, I'm the, I this, by the way, I do this every week, and now I found I found the analog for it. It's when Heather Cox is on the sidelines like five seconds before they kick off a big game, and the last thing the coach wants to do is talk about crap that they've talked about for eight days. Bill, how are you <laughs> feeling right now? What's been uh, your mindset just, coming in coming in off that loss in the bye week? Uh, just uh, one play at a time, and uh, you know I, I, I like my team. I think we're in pretty good shape, and you know just gotta just gotta go out there and fight. Hmm. I don't know. Sounds weak to me. You ready? Let's do it. There, Bill is a gray team and a purple team, by the way. Uh, See, I already missed my spiel up. This is blind box score bingo. What we do is we take the names, the proper nouns, off of a box score. We give Bill the information. He tries to recreate the game based off of the box score because he is a genius robot. If you would like to play along, please email me, not Bill, just me, at S. God Jr. at SB Nation, a box score submission in which you, not me, because I'm lazy, wipe off all the proper names, logos, all that stuff. You can usually just go to ESPN.com, Photoshop it real fast, then drop it into an email with, for me. Um, and then we, I will pick out the selection. By the way, I just want to say that the voting is closed on Toledo and Arkansas from 2015. <laughs> Bill and I already talked about this. I love all of my listeners equally. You are all God's children. Please stop sending me Toledo and Arkansas. Bill would have smoked that in two seconds. The goal of this game is a misdirection of statistical information. It is not just weird games that happened. Okay? I want to reiterate that. Bill, do you, by the way, we talked about this before we went on there. Bill, do you think you would have just, like called that game outright because it's so unique? Well, I'm, I'm still annoyed that I got beat by that Florida-Georgia game from a couple of years ago because I thought when I saw a couple of the little pieces of it, I thought there, are, there could only be a few games here, whatever it was, like total passes. I think uh, in, in a situation like the crazy Toledo-Arkansas game, that, I think it would have rung a bell. I, I think there is... Um, there were just so many weird things with that game and not that a box score would have included uh, drive finishing. Yeah. Cause that was where Arkansas went and just lost its mind. 
Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure that one would have rung about whether I committed to it or not. I don't know. I, I, I like to him and haw, but yeah, it would have, it would have rung about. I will say this. Um, there's, I think we've seen a, like a, a standard or a trend here that, that drive the way you finish a drive is often the way that we, tr- we, we trip up bill a little bit because that information is very vital to recreating a game and it's not readily available on box scores. So if you're trying to kind of play at home and pull a David Wonderlick and really stump Bill, um, you, you got to go with something where drives kind of end in aberrant ways. I think that's fair to say. Yes. Okay. All right. Let me see if I have everything pulled up here. I've stalled a little bit. Um, there is a gray team and there is a purple team. Yes. The gray team finished with 22 first downs. The purple team finished with 28. The gray team was 5 of 9 on third down. The purple team was 8 of 14. Neither team attempted a fourth down conversion. The gray team finished with 543 total yards, 301 passing. They were 20 of 30. That's 10 yards per pass. They threw two interceptions. They ran for 242 yards. They uh, had 23 attempts. That averages out to be 10.5 yards per rush. The purple team. Finished with 385 total yards. That 157 of that was passing. They were 13 of 33 passing for 4.8 yards a pass, so drastically lower than the gray team. They threw one interception. They had 228 rushing yards. They had 48 attempts, so 4.8 yards per rush. So they were less than 6 yards per rush than their opponent. The gray team had 11 penalties for 81 yards. The purple team... Had three for 35. Both teams had two turnovers, so I'm guessing that the purple team, which uh, here it is listed here. Okay, so the purple team had a lost fumble and an interception, and then, of course, the gray team threw those two picks. The gray team had 20 minutes and 15 seconds of possession. The purple team had 39 minutes and 45 seconds. Bill, what happened in this game? Um, I think... I'm going to say that there was a pretty decent comeback. Here's why. Number one, gray team averaged 10 yards per rush, 10.5 yards per rush, barely ran the ball. That suggests that unless you're a Mike Leach team, um, that suggests that they didn't run the ball because circumstance didn't really allow them to run the ball. Now, I mean, they only threw 30 passes, too, so it's not like they threw 60 passes. So part of this was just that they never had the ball. Clearly, clearly, purple team uh, basically tried to swallow the ball up and, and, and run as much as possible, as evidenced by the fact that they ran 48 times without being very good at it. Um, so that's, that's, that's observation number one. There's a comeback here because great team th- yeah, threw more than ran, uh, and they were – perfectly successful at, at, at throwing the ball, but they threw more than they ran. Purple team couldn't really run the ball very well. Uh, still ran a lot. Of course they couldn't pass either. So that does make it a little tricky. Um, and I guess the other thing that I, that would tell me that this was a, a comeback attempt. Number one, purple team was clearly trying to just swallow the ball up. Um, they had 14 third down attempts to, to the other team's nine, which suggests that they were really, just trying to grind out possessions. Uh, and number two, like they had what 81 plays in basically 40 minutes. That's basically a play every 30 seconds. That tells me you're just 
you're just eating up the ball. So either this is a situation where an underdog was trying to shrink the game as much as possible um, from the start, or uh, the purple team had a huge lead and was trying to, to milk it for all it was worth. Um, let's see. What else? Anything else? What else? I'm trying to see here. Like, yeah, I mean, great team, nine third down conversions. Granted, again, they only had 53 snaps, so that's that's not – but they only had nine third down conversion attempts. That, that They really barely had the ball. And then, of course, the other, I guess, issue here is 11 penalties to three for the gray team. Um, that that suggests that they were misfiring a ton, which which maybe that plays into the comeback idea here in that they misfired – they had all this explosiveness uh, but couldn't hold on to the ball because they kept misfiring and screwing themselves over. Okay. So, um, so you're saying that the gray team came back because they didn't hold off of the ball for a long well, time. They I, threw the yeah, ball saying, a lot, but they also had a ton of yards. Right. They had a ton of yards. They had a ton of misfires. Um, well, they had two turnovers. They had 11 penalties. They were clearly shooting themselves in the foot here. Now, I, I'm not saying they did come back. I'm saying they were trying to come back. Um, but the fact that they were averaged 10 yards per run and 10 yards per pass tells me they probably either succeeded or came really close. This ring a bell to you at all, by the way? Uh, I mean, this type of game kind of sounds like, a, you know, spread offense versus this. This game actually, this is, I think, out of the statute of limitations. But this game kind of reminds me of the Baylor Kansas State game from a few years ago. Okay. Uh, Robert Griffin, Robert Griffin's year, where they were Kansas State. Yeah, basically. If I told they, you it was from last season, would you be able to guess it? Because I, I think um, between, yeah, maybe. I mean, that's not uh, for those of you listening for the first time. Welcome, but also that's not the point of this game. Um, <laughs> yeah, because um, yeah, basically, I, maybe it's the maybe it's I, I I said Baylor Kansas State. Maybe it's the purple being the purple team. But this, yeah, this this would feel like um, from last year. Anything? Any guesses from last year? Um, I know Baylor was in a kind of a weird game with Kansas State, but I think that's that's probably the TCU Baylor or TCU Kansas State game. Bill, are you ready to find out? Let's find out. Bill Connolly, you stopped that ass in a return to form after your loss in the bye week. October 11th, 2015. Bill, not only did you guess the game, or not only did you guess what happened, you guessed the damn game. You gotta. That's never you gotta, happened. You got to change the purple. The purple just makes me immediately assume either TC or. <laughs> Manhattan, Kansas. immediately assume that either TCU or Kansas State was involved. Manhattan, Kansas. TCU's players spent the week laughing in practice, joking in team meetings, and Coach Gary Patterson kept warning them about overlooking a trip to Kansas State. They finally listened to him at halftime Saturday night. By the way, these AP leads are the best. After digging a big hole over the first 30 minutes, the second-ranked Horn Frogs responded to their coach's pleas with a spirited comeback. Trayvon Boykin threw for 301 yards and two touchdowns. The second, a 55-yard strike to Josh Doxson with 110 remaining in the game. And TCU nipped the Wildcats 52-45 to remain in the national championship hunt. First of all, what the hell, TCU players? You were seriously, Gary Patterson was struggling to get you to focus on a trip to Kansas State. First First of all, you almost lost to Kansas at Kansas the year before. The Horn Frogs, six and zero. Come on, kids these days. The Horn Frogs, six and zero, three and zero. The Big Twelve trailed thirty-five to seventeen at the break, but Boykin showed the poise of a Heisman Trophy candidate. He added one hundred and twenty-four yards and two touchdowns on the ground, while Aaron Green ran for one hundred and twenty-one yards and two more scores. And Doxon caught eight passes for one fifty-five and two touchdowns. 
Damn, Bill. This was sent in by Brett Morey. Brett Morey coming from a KSU, uh, KSU email address. Uh, shout out to Brett. Thank you for writing in. He says, Stephen and Bill, first off, I love the podcast. Y'all do a great job. No, you do a great job. We love you. My submission for box score bingo this week comes from the 2015 TCU at K-State game. For those who don't remember, K-State was up by double digits as late as the fourth quarter, but still ended up losing in a close game. To be honest, this was one of the most depressing finishes to a game I have ever (laughs) seen in person. So, of course, I want to give Bill the chance to dive right in and bash on K-State like him and his numbers love to do. Uh, So love to do. Completely joking, of course. Uh, So I told Bill before we went on the air that this was submitted by a fan who thinks that, not seriously, but tongue-in-cheek, that Bill's numbers have a bias towards a particular team. I always love it when this happens. Um, Brett goes on to say, before, before you can respond, Bill, Brett goes on to say, but leading to a bigger point, Bill's percentile performance rating gave K-State a 39% uh, – is just as – gave K-State a 39% for this game. I think that uh, – oh, 39% chance, I assume? Yeah. I am, uh, no, 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 the percentile. So basically you played like a – Oh, right, okay. I am curious about why it was so low, given that K-State held the lead until six minutes left and kept it tied with just over a minute left. I feel like this might provide some insight into why Bill's numbers don't seem to like how K-State wins, or in this case, comes up just short, in games where actual stati- where the actual statistics are not anything spectacular, but the scoreboard still shows a competitive game. Happy Independence Day. Thanks, guys. Brett. So – First thing Kansas State always does very, very well. And, and I, you know, this, the numbers don't really take this into account, but I don't think they should. Um, yeah, I mean, Kansas State played this humongously risky game by, like, their whole goal here, and this was probably knowing Bill Snyder, knowing that Baylor game that I brought up, um, this was probably the goal even, even if they didn't have the big lead. Um, they, when you're a really potent up-tempo team, they want you to, they want you to end up with 50 snaps. Um, or 50, 53, I guess, now that I'm looking at the big box score here. Uh, they, want you, they want you to not have the ball, and they want you to panic when you do have the ball and, and make mistakes. And that's, that's good. The, the thing about Kansas State is that frequently does not work when, when they are not as good a team. certainly didn't work against Oklahoma last year. Let's put it that way. And so, um, I mean, it is a low margin for error strategy, uh, and, and it frequently fails, and they get blown out. They've been getting blown out with more frequency of late. But... When you're good at it, like when you're truly good and not just kind of lucky or, you know, not not playing this no margin for error game, Kansas State in 2012 ranked sixth in S&P Plus. Legitimately awesome that year. Um, legitimately lucky in 2011 when they were uh, uh, 10 and 3 and finished 37th. Like that, those two years kind of spelled out the differences to me. You can play this style um, well and you can get lucky at it. Last year they were. Um, well, actually not – let's see. What's a good example? They, they, they were 28th in 2014 but did lose four games. Uh, last year they were just not a very good football team, and they were 84th and 6th and 7th. But this game, because TCU committed 11 penalties, because TCU um, threw two interceptions, and I'm, I'm looking through here to try to remember more about this game um, – you know, Kansas State was able to win the field position battle, which is very important to them. They had a they averaged at the 36 yard line to TCU's 28. That's a plus eight advantage that really will give you a very good chance of winning. All else aside, um, because I mean, if you think about it, that's tw- that's eight more yards that TCU has to gain in every possession to just break even. And over the course of a game, that's a hundred more yards. You just bought yourself like a hundred yards. 
But um, no, I mean, I think this was an example of playing that no margin for error style well. And it almost worked out for Kansas State. But the reason their 30-whatever percentile grade came in was the fact that they they were outgained on a per-play basis 10.2 yards per play to 4.8. Like, that's just, it's almost impossible to win in that situation. To win in that situation, you have to do everything that Kansas State here did, um, but force another turnover or make another stop, which they rarely actually came close to doing. So, I mean... Yeah, I, that that's you know what I think. What's that? Bill named the game. That's never even happened. Again, if you give me purple, I'm going to immediately assume TCU or Kansas State's involved. Like that's clear. Uh, this is I, I. It's it. My brain has gone that way in every single one of these with colors, and and sometimes that throws me way off. The we side. had uh, ooh three episodes ago. When the when our listener submitted a, a, a score with colors, and he flipped the schools that were involved to their rival yeah. schools' colors, yeah, so, completely threw me. Yeah, I think we're gonna have to go with Team A and Team B from. I now was on. about to say if we can just do A B, that'd be fantastic. Colors are doing strange things to your robot brain. That's right. All right, um, we're done. It's the Fourth of July. Soak it in. Enjoy it. Um, pray to God that your team is still safely asleep in this dark, sweet, warm valley of no news. Because when we come back, conference media day start again. Uh, all, all, all legitimate, or all, all joking aside, all joshing aside. Um, let me know what you guys want to see from these media days events. Um, I'm, I don't want to be living in an airport for nothing. So uh, tell us what you want to see. Tell us what you want to hear. Get hype for Newport. Because that's happening. And I'm just going to do this one more time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's and not, not going to come back next week, I promise. I, I was going to say, I'm going to sneak to Nashville. I'm going to break into Godfrey's house. I'm going to delete yes. this file from his computer. Not going to happen. I'm using the, the, I'm using the iPad that we play, um, like, the kid stuff on. It still has the harness on it. For You know what I'm talking about in the back of the car. Oh, right. But uh, I just want to say, everybody, have a happy 4th of July. Feel free to enjoy yourself. Be safe. If you're going to explode things, just blow up a small, unusable portion of our of our wonderful home country. And don't do it in my damn neighborhood. The dog freaks out, okay? Oh, yeah. I got to dope the dog. Maddie, you hear that? You're getting dope next week. All right. We'll see you next week. All right.